Kako. Emphasis on the Kako part today on the Aloha Friday Conversation, Art, Culture, and Ideas in Hawaii. I'm Noe Tanigawa. So glad you're here with us today. First, we're diving into American culture. Actor Daniel Day Kim spoke before the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Civil Liberties yesterday. He was among prominent Asian Americans calling for bills condemning acts of hate against Asians. He later revealed his sister has been the victim of a hate crime. We talked before the shootings in Atlanta, but Kim's called attention to anti-Asian bias before. In February, he and actor Daniel Wu sponsored a $25,000 reward for information leading to arrest in the attack on a 91-year-old man in Oakland. That reward was criticized by some as perpetuating surveillance and arrest tactics over community solutions. Kim has been in Hawaii since 2004. He was a regular on Lost, then Hawaii 5 He and his wife raised two sons in Hawaii, and they've gotten involved in this community. I caught him on location in Toronto and asked if he's actually still living here in Honolulu. Yeah, Hawaii's still home. I love it. I tell you, after being in like 10 degree weather for the past month, I'm so homesick. <laughs> Glad to hear it. <laughs> Help us with this. Be, you know, I just want to talk to you uh, about what you and your particular position can help us with. You know, how do you think American media, Hollywood sees Asians? Uh, it's a really good question and one that I've been asking for, you know, a good 30 years because that's how long I've been in this business. The good news is I think it's changing. We have more of a presence now than maybe we ever have in American history. We have more representation now that we've had. And I think there's more dialogue around issues of representation, those kinds of conversations we haven't had in the past also. I think a lot of times, to be completely frank, Asian Americans fall through the cracks of the conversations about race. African Americans have a very distinct and special place uh, in our history, as do uh, Latinx Americans. Asian Americans do as well. And too often, I think, our achievements are discounted uh, as part of American history. Not seen <laughs> is more often the case, really. It's as though we're talking about an awareness that few participate in. I think that's true. I, I think, you know, we are a small portion of the population on the mainland. And so those of us who are speaking up about these things are often preaching to the choir or often speaking to our own echo chamber. The key for us is to really amplify our message to the point where people beyond the Asian American community start to take notice of our contributions. I think living in a place like Hawaii, uh, it's relatively blissful. You know, I feel very fortunate about that. And at the same time, the issues in America are real. As the events of the past couple of months have really highlighted, there's a lot of work to be done. You've spoken out about it. You've acted on your convictions in that case in a complex discussion that's going on about how to respond to this kind of racism. What do you say? I'm glad to have been a part of that conversation, and I'm, I continue to be a part of that conversation, and I think that's, that's really what it's going to require. None of these issues are going to be solved in a day. One of the unusual circumstances of social media is that extreme voices often are the loudest, and you know those of us who might be a little bit more moderate or more tempered or more thoughtful in the way we approach uh, this particular issue can sometimes be drowned out. Did I feel like the criticism was unfair? Well, I will say that uh, there were assumptions made about uh, the reward that Daniel and I posted that we were not making. Uh, we did not call out any particular community. And if anything, uh, our call is to try and unite communities because I understand and I firmly believe that the only way we're gonna solve these issues is together. It's not just an Asian American issue. It's an issue of power and a system of power that has oppressed certain communities. And, and that's not specific just to us. And it's a question of perceptions and the role the media has in that. That's where you sit, Daniel. What is a production company? What is Hollywood's calculus when they cast you in a role? You know, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I think, again, it's changing now, but so often we were there as, I guess, seasoning on the dish, on the main dish. 
you know, we were, we were too often the ones in supporting roles just to show networks had a diverse cast. Very often we were relegated to the forensic specialist or the computer tech guy who gives all the exposition to the white leads. But many of a generation ago would consider that progress too, because at least we would be seen. So this is a continuum. And I think that's really important to remember. And now, as I sit here in Toronto, as uh, I play the first lead role in my television career, the fact is not lost on me that it has, has taken a while and it's a symbol of progress in and of itself. Can you tell us about this role? Sure. Um, it's a series called The Hot Zone and it's a season two of this series. It's an anthology series. The first one dealt with the Ebola virus based on the book by Richard Preston. The second season deals with the anthrax attacks that took place a few weeks after 9-11. Nice. There were envelopes laced with anthrax sent to people like Tom Brokaw and, and certain politicians. My role is the lead investigator trying to find the source of these attacks. Wow, it sounds great. <laughs> I'm excited to play the role and I'm really embracing this, this idea that even though the lead investigator may not have been Asian American in real life, the producers have had enough confidence in me and see the world in such a way that an Asian American could be the lead investigator. Again, that's a big sign of progress. Do you think race has played a role in compensation? Absolutely. It's no secret that women have been paid less than men and people of color have been paid less than their white counterparts. That is factually borne out through in study after study. And I think the more insidious way that it plays out is systemically. For instance, TV networks will have a system where they will pay their lead actor a certain amount and they budget a certain amount for the second and third leads. And they often stick by these standards for all of their shows. But where the systemic issue happens is if you never hire a minority person as your lead, you are constantly suppressing their salaries. And so this is something that is, is not talked about so much in television and in film. That's why it's important for people of color to be playing leads, for women to be playing leads so that they can break through these barriers. I saw such a great film the other day and it had an Asian lead. He was a farmer in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Minari, it's, it's, it's a beautiful film and I'm really glad that it's getting the attention it's receiving. Again, I don't think this film would have been made 20 years ago. Even now, we so often get the feedback that you know, as I develop projects, well, we're not, we're not sure who the audience is going to be for this, which is sometimes, not all the time, sometimes code for this doesn't interest me as, as a non-Asian person. So I don't uh -huh. think... How did that film make it past that? No, I, it's a sign of the times. Things are changing. And I think people are recognizing more that American stories do not necessarily mean that it's just white American stories. It's what America is and what America means can have many faces, African-American, in this case, Korean-American. And this is a story that, it, that in many ways parallels my families. And so I understand this and I believe this to be an American story. I mean, most people's perception of America was what they used to watch on their TV screens. You know, they are a passive value delivery system. And so as we watch more and more people of color stories being told, we're also sharing the implicit message that these are valid, legitimate stories, and these are people worth understanding and empathizing with. <laughs> Thank you so much, Daniel. All killer, no filler. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> I yes. do want to add one thing, and that is that it's significant to me that these attacks are happening uh, against uh, elderly Asian Americans, because when I think about Hawaii and I think about the people that I know in Hawaii, the kapuna that I know and love, it, it had a direct effect on why this influenced me and uh, so much, because I know the spirit with which people in Hawaii live. To be honest, it's one of the reasons I wanted to raise my family in Hawaii, because I wanted my kids to grow up somewhere where they didn't have to face the discrimination that I faced when I was a kid. And so I consider myself very fortunate that, that they were able to grow up there. Uh, but at the same time, it's important that they get the experience of what the mainland is like and, and what, quote unquote, the real world in some sense is. Because 
not everyone is as kind as they are where we live at home. When are you coming back? <laughs> not, not soon enough. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm scheduled to finish here in May, and as soon as I do, I'm taking the first flight home. Actor Daniel Day Kim. Yesterday at a House hearing in Washington, Kim recalled that a year ago, he had requested support for a bill condemning acts of hate against Asians. No money or resources were required. Still, Kim pointed out, 164 members of Congress, all Republican, voted against it. We'll see what happens this year. racism too. On Kauai, Police Chief Todd Raybuck is being censured by the Police Commission for racist behavior. They found the chief squinted his eyes, bowed up and down, and mimicked a Japanese accent, and he voiced stereotypes while discussing police business. The State of Hawaii Organization of Police Officers has called for Chief Raybuck to resign. A community petition is calling for forgiveness. How do you respond to these excerpts from Raybuck's apology. Aloha kako. First and foremost, I'm deeply sorry for the hurt that my words have caused to those involved, to our police department, and to our community. The comments I made were not made with the intent to come across as discriminatory or to humiliate and hurt others. In hindsight, I recognize that regardless of my intent, my words have caused people pain. I look forward to the opportunity to apologize directly to those who have been hurt by my words and hope that we may repair our relationships moving forward. Todd Raybuck graduated high school outside Chicago and started his law enforcement career here in Hawaii as an Air Force law enforcement officer. I recognize now and accept that my comments were insensitive and improper as the chief of police. I respect the findings of the investigation and I will accept the police commission's decision on my discipline. After the Air Force, Raybuck joined the Las Vegas Police Department and served in a variety of roles. He was commander of a substation before he retired after 27 years on the force. Raybuck was hired to lead Kauai's police department out of a slump just two years ago in 2019. I understand that some of you are disappointed in hearing about the findings of the investigation. I'm disappointed too. I'm disappointed that my actions brought undeserved scrutiny on my police department I'm disappointed that as a county leader, I've not been the best example for my employees to follow. And I'm disappointed that my family has had to witness and endure the fallout from my mistakes. I believe this situation will allow me to become a better person, a better father, and a better leader. I'll work hard to rebuild damaged relationships and restore the community's trust in me. I believe I have so much more to give this community. I ask for your forgiveness and the opportunity to move forward together to continue to serve the people of Kauai. Mahalo for your time. Aloha. Kauai Police Chief Todd Raybuck. Does racial joking around mean racist actions? In Hawaii, culturally, race relations seem to be more nuanced. Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami laid that out this week in a conversation with my colleague, Catherine Cruz. He talked about the crude remarks and comments, gestures attributed to Chief Raybuck. It's hurtful. Not only was it embarrassing to him, but I think, you know, a lot of Japanese Americans are a bit embarrassed to, to have been characterized in that light. The impact and just the timing is horrible. You know, I have a 17-year-old daughter who spends her days learning from home, like many other kids right now, but she just took her SATs. She's at home researching what colleges she wants to go to with the recent ongoing anti-Asian sentiment in some areas. She's also been Googling where it is that she feels safe, and she's been scratching off lists of colleges that she was considering based on that. So, you know, it's a, it's a touchy subject, and it's one where I get it. You know, growing up in Hawaii, we used to have Frank DeLima come to our schools, but what he did was he taught us how to embrace our differences, 
embrace diversity, be able to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves so seriously. But in, in this context, it was hurtful to many people. And, you know, Chief is going to he's gonna make people whole. He's going to have that opportunity. You know, and let's call a spade a spade. If you grew up in Hawaii, it's part of our culture. It's almost ingrained to embrace our differences. But it's a challenge for, for a police chief. It's a challenge for any high-level executive that you, you walk a fine line and there are certain things that were held to a different standard, and he's going to learn from this. I'm not going to judge anybody for making a big mistake because God knows I've had my share of them. I've at times have had to make people whole, and so I know what it feels like, and he must feel terrible. You know, I think about him and his ability to move forward, but as far as resigning, that's something he's going to have to decide and I'll leave it at that. Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami, where are you on this? Do we hold public officials to a different standard in terms of behavior like mocking racist stereotypes? Is it really okay for everyone else? This week, the online hate tracker Stop AAPI Hate charted nearly 3,800 incidents against Asians or perceived Asians so far during the pandemic. Over 500 incidents were reported since the start of this year, not including the six Asian women who were shot this week. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Bavarian Motor Experts. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Dr. Brant Courtright, author of Holistic Healing for Anxiety, Depression, and Cognitive Decline. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how to strengthen your brain for optimum mental health. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to enjoy the art and museum spaces on Palhana Friday evenings until 9 p.m. Admission tickets at honolulumuseum.org. What are you reading? Have you got a book waiting on your bed table right now? Why don't we visit some bookstores, those inviting playgrounds for young and old? In Honolulu, Base Bookshop is the art, architecture, fashion, and design bookstore every vibrant city needs. Finally, we've got one. Native Books has what you need in Hawaii and Pacific titles. These two gems just opened on Nu'uanu Avenue. And there's been quite the buzz around Village Books and Music at Ward. It's the new Friends of the Library of Hawaii pop-up, bringing the thrills and chills of the summertime McKinley book sale to a cool 10,000-square-foot retail environment. Nainua Mao is executive director of Friends of the Library. Nainua says the bookshop downtown at the Arts at Marks will stay open, too, on an honor box system. Arts at Marks has been a great in the door uh, but it, it does have its limits on size so um, we are looking for something bigger not quite this big <laughs> so this is amazing uh, for the three months and then hopefully we'll move to something more manageable in september we closed on a brand new uh new to us warehouse in Ivile. we bought it oh. and um yeah so it's our permanent home 12,000 wow. and hopefully it's much more convenient for donors and volunteers. How is Friends of Library doing? We've kept busy for sure during the pandemic. We did in May launch a online bookstore. And so since the end of May, we've been selling about 20,000 books we've sold online so far. It's all curbside pickup and, you know, people were hungry for books during the pandemic and we tried to <laughs> meet that need. Yeah. I'm sure the library has been so busy digitally. There were over 1 million ebooks circulated 
last year. So that is a new milestone for them. And they brought out uh, streaming services like Canopy. They uh, made uh, Ancestry.com available from home. It's still available until the end of March, I think. So they've really been bringing in new digital resources. These libraries that are such a community lifeline, like Kaunakakai Library, think about, we're so attached to our libraries. And so the mission of Friends of the Library is to support them. Right. We do that mainly through uh, providing programming. And so the libraries have moved to digital programming, virtual programming, and into April, they're rolling out genealogy programs. They have, I think, five or six genealogy virtual programs coming up in the next month. Those should be fun for people who are at home and researching their ancestry. Summer reading programs, all of the different performers that come in, a continuing education for librarians. So institute days for the library staff, those are funded by Friends of the Library of Hawaii. Any idea how librarians have been doing? They are resilient and they have been working to make their spaces available and safe. Those services are vital. Like you said, those uh, rural libraries, they're kind of struggling now with the state budget cuts. The library actually has personnel shortages. And so keeping those rural branches open is tough when you don't have enough staff. That's the key thing with the library's budget is just making sure that they have the funding to keep the staff there. A lot of the Hawaii State Library staff are still processing unemployment claims. Are the libraries open? They are. So you can visit the library for 45 minutes at a time. And they're called wiki visits. And so you can zoom in, get whatever materials you're looking for, use the computers, use the copiers. The library staff then clean the high-touch spaces for 15 minutes, and then you can make another appointment. Yeah, and they've also made Wi-Fi available in their parking lot. So they've extended the Wi-Fi beyond the buildings, recognizing that it's really obvious, you know, how important a connection is. If you don't want to go in, you can still order your books online and just pick them up at the front. Was there any thought to continuing that forever? (laughs) They may. (laughs) It is convenient. They've got the system down. (laughs) Tell me what people love when they come to your book sales. Obviously, the rare and hard to find uh, materials are what people are looking for, the out-of-print materials. Our Hawaiiana collection has a lot of vintage Hawaiiana books or Pacific books that are not widely circulated. A lot of them are no longer in print, and so those are really sought after. Vinyl. We have a huge vinyl collection, more than eight pallets of vinyl here um, ready Ooh, to be put out. And really? <laughs> it's exciting. We have 45s. We have a huge collection of CDs and DVDs. And then what's really, I think, striking when you come to the store is the amount of art that we have. So donated works of art. We have lined the store with paintings. About 200 paintings are on the walls. And we have about 50 washi dolls. It's a big collection of Japanese paper dolls or washi dolls. Beautifully handmade. And That's something new. We've never had that before. Tell me the price range of your books. You can still find dollar books out there. I've seen a few uh, quarter books (laughs) still lingering out there, but uh, mostly they're priced around the $3 range. Yeah. People who love your operation at McKinley are just going to be so happy to have this to go to all the time. Congratulations on this. I'm sure it was a giant operation getting it together. <laughs> you're good for three months and then we'll there figure we out what's next, right? Yep. Um, and one other thing, we're looking for um, volunteers. So we've got a great base of volunteers from our book sales. If anybody else is willing to volunteer, we are happy to have you. And I know Amal, Executive Director of Friends of the Library of Hawaii. The Hawaii State Federal Credit Union is sponsoring Village Books and Music. They're at Ward, 100,000 books, 50,000 records. I saw an Yvonne Cheng painting there. CDs, DVDs, the whole thing. Inventory switches regularly. They're in the former Pier 1 import space, Tuesday to Saturday, 10 to 7, Sundays, 10 to 5. We'll post a link with this story.
feel like I'm on Maui. And I had a little fun chat with Joanne Carroll of Maui Friends of the Library, Lahaina. They just opened a new space at the outlets of Maui. Maui Friends have three locations, the largest at Queen Ka'ahumanu Centers, known for its huge selection. Carol says international travelers make fascinating donations, and Australians especially ship boxes of books home from their vacations on Maui. On Kauai, have you ever been to Talk Story Bookstore, the westernmost bookstore in the United States? It's been in the old Yoshiura Store building near the center of Hanapepe Town since 2006. Ed Justice runs it with his wife, Yuriko. Talk Story was voted the number one shopping destination on Kauai by TripAdvisor at one point, but Ed says last year was kind of a little different. Well, it's been a challenge for sure. I mean, that's the, I think that's the nature of business is we have to adapt. You know, we, we don't really have any choice. Uh, for six weeks, we were uh, forced to be closed because uh, bookstores were considered non-essential. They were on the list of non-essential entities, which libraries were too. And when we were allowed to suddenly reopen, basically with no inflow of tourism, our income dropped 90%. So we had to figure out how we were going to cover all of our expenses. So we ended up having to send back, I'd say, 95% of the new books we had pre-purchased and planning for a big year in 2020. And I ended up selling some personal things as well, just to just to try to make ends meet. I was able, thankfully, to get the PPP loan. But you know, I, I think the hardest part for us was getting through that period right during the shutdown and right after that. We had no idea how to cover all those expenses that we had made in preparation for a big year. And then we had to make sure we got the rent. And it was just, it was a lot to juggle. And we didn't know if there was going to be any loans or any forgiveness options. or So thankfully, we're operating now at about 20% of our former revenue. You know, we've been able to cut costs and you know, operating five days a week instead of seven. I'm here every day now instead of having employees here. And we've basically been focusing more on selling our used and vintage and uh, rare products that we have. And I think it's as opposed to purchasing a lot of the new books, because buying a lot of the new books, you have to pay a lot more to get it in order to sell it in the store. So it's better for us than selling the used and the vintage. And we've been doing more online sales as well. My wife, uh, Yuriko, she's been doing a lot of social media for the store. So there's been people checking us out on Instagram. We actually discovered a really cool site. Kona Bay Books is the one that recommended this company called Bonfire. And Bonfire, um, they do print-on-demand merchandise. So we actually ended up selling lots of T-shirts and all kinds of other stuff that um, people could buy remotely. Even if they're not visiting, they were still able to purchase through our site. And we've also been very grateful that we've had many, many people just contribute to the store even. Just they want us around, so they've gone to our website and hit the contribute button, and and I'm just honored and it's I'm humbled that people want to keep us going. You know, mm-hmm. you know, did you find that it's more work to do online sales? <laughs> yes, it's always a lot of work to do online sales. It's a lot of uh, time-consuming effort. It's a very tedious process because as opposed to just looking up a book and putting a price on it and putting it on the shelf. I have to look at the book. I have to input all the information about it. I have to hand, you know, describe it. And then I have to make sure it's in the inventory system correctly. And it's definitely a lot more work in that regard. What does Hanapepe feel like these days? It's quieter. <laughs> it's um, yeah. There's not been a Friday night since March of last mm. year. Oh, those used to be just such a great time. Such a cruise. Island style, lots to eat, lots to look at. Wow, that's a bit of a loss. How many people would you would you see on a Friday night before? We were probably having at least 500 people every Friday night. And that was every <laughs> Friday night, not once a month or once a year. It's every single Friday night. So it just became this real cool happening that both visitors and locals would come and enjoy. And lots of good food. And it was really cool. People really loved it. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to it reopening. Bookstores are kind of known as community gathering spots. Our goal in the store is always to have something for everybody. And so we don't discriminate on what we bring in. We just basically try to find the best condition of what it is and put it on the shelf. And so we have kind of anything and everything. 
And people really love that. So it's real fun to see people come in and they'll discover something that they didn't even know they were looking for. They're like, oh man, I love this. I've got to have this. And I think that's why people love shopping bookstores. It's that joy of discovery. You know, it's that kind of discovery that you don't get when you're just clicking a mouse on a computer, right? It's just different. It's a different whole, different whole experience. It's like finding something out about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, books in a way are kind of the most personal purchase you could ever make. <laughs> it's a reflection of what's in your mind. Ed Justice is the proprietor of Talk Story Bookstore in Hanapepe, Hawaii. taking a swing around Hawaii's independent bookstores, and basically books in Hilo is a must. It's a family operation. In 2020, Christine Reed celebrated 35 years in business with her husband, David, and daughter, Stacy. It's down to the three of them now, and Reed says that's how it's been since March 20th last year. We weren't the ones that were home gardening and baking and reading that giant stack of books. We were here every day, inputting data, contacting vendors, you know, we spent a solid two months just making this happen. But in many ways, it was really a silver lining because we were able to use that time really wisely mm -hmm. and re reposition ourselves for the future. Well, knowing how you did do business, it makes me really feel like you're bringing the best to your new business. What do you see as some of the new avenues, Christine? Well, we're still not quite ready to launch our online store because we're very busy in the brick and mortar store. We reopened the store in June and it was a little slow to begin, but we decided to pull out all the stops for the holidays and we brought in a lot of educational toys and books and science kits, all the new books that were coming out and people really responded. We had a wonderful holiday season. A lot of customers came in and said they wanted to shop local. Having this concept really be embraced by the community, I think was one of the other social silver linings that we've seen. While we were closed, people were coming to do curbside pickup and we were selling tons of puzzles and family games children's workbooks. You could see that people were really scrambling, but also embracing this time with their families. So uh -huh. as soon as puzzles arrived, they went out the door to the point that publishers were out of puzzles. So <laughs> that was really good. I would say our business has come back maybe 75% or something. Serendipitously, it just happened that in May, the University of Hawaii Press released several very significant books that really helped our sales right there in the beginning. Their two-volume Davida Malo Mo'olelo book came out, The Diaries of Queen Liliuokalani. Those just hit the market right at that time. So that certainly was a boost for us. Since our focus is Hawaii, we really have been a resource here for many years, so that is still what drives our sales, our books about Hawaii. On the local publishing scene, what else has kind of gotten you excited that came out last year, Christine? Oh, okay. Well, Mutual brought out a book on blackwater diving, and then one of their best books was a children's book called Six Feet Together, and it talks about how we have to be six feet apart, but we can still be together. A local author came out with a new book on sugarcane called Co, an ethnobotanical guide. Hmm. A professor here of English brought out her novel. That's about the Palace Theater and the Wizard of Oz. And it's oh, called No kidding. Place Like Home. And it was just, a, it's a charming, easy to read novel that really reflects Hilo. I was really excited about that. 
there's been a, a big uptick in books about gardening and traditional use of plants. Fishing, the moon calendar this year sold out was reprinted by Prince Kuhio Hawaiian Civic Club and we're uh -huh. still continuing to sell it. So you can see the interest in gardening and growing things has exploded. The other thing we noticed a lot of is there's a lot of introspection right now. People are buying tarot and oracle cards, um, books on spirituality, books on self-help. Through all of the changes of the past year, people are looking for ways to center themselves and make sense of all the changes that we're going through and, and reach for you know a positive outcome. Has there been anything new on that sort of spiritual quest front? The big mm -hmm. exciting book that came out was Nana Ike Kumu 3. This is the third of the series of books that was originally written by Mary Kavena Pukui. And it's been, I think, 40 years since the publication of volume two. And this one was just released by the Queen Lilio Kalani Trust. It sold out instantly. So it's been reprinted and we just received our stock of it last week. So it's back in print. And it's about Ho'oponopono and people are really resonating with this concept in today's world. I really feel like bookstores are the heart of a community. And I'm just so happy I've been able to spend my adult life surrounded by books. I wish I had time to read more, which I don't. But my latest read, I'm gonna to have to show you this. Please. So exciting. So this new book called Codebreaker is about Jennifer Doudna, who grew up here in Hilo and just won the 2020 Nobel Prize in Chemistry for her work on gene editing and the CRISPR technology. So here she is, a local Hilo girl, and she won the Nobel Prize. Our island is very unusual in the book world. We actually have five bookstores. Hilo is basically books that has new books. In Kona, it's called Kona Stories. It's run by two women, Joy and Brenda. It's mostly new books. It's in Keahoe Shopping Center. But there's a really great used bookstore that's starting to do some new, and it's called Kona Bay Books. In Hilo, the other used bookstore is Big Island Book Buyers. And that's owned by Mary. And then a brand new store just opened in downtown Hilo. It was a store that was out in the industrial area that a new family that's just moving to Hilo bought and moved downtown. It's called Turn the Page, right below the Palace Theater. And I went in and walked through and met the owner and it's delightful. So now on our island, we have more bookstores than anywhere else in the state, I think. I think that says a lot. <laughs> Stand proud. and. Be ready to I have that proud. record challenged. <laughs> we have a very strong connection and a very open communication among all the booksellers on the island. We totally support each other. We refer people to each other. We're happy to have colleagues. They're not considered competitors. I think all over America, there's a real surge in the opening of small community curated independent bookstores. Sounds like you're gonna make it through this COVID period. I mean, what with scrambling all the different options together. We are, you know, when people come in, we love seeing people who haven't seen each other in a long time meeting between our shelves. They say, please stay open so we can have a local bookstore to spend time in. And, you know, we plan to do just that, you know will be here. Christine Reed owns Basically Books in Hilo, Hawaii.
Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. These days, community is more important than ever. One way you can stay connected is by joining HPR's Generation Listen. It's a group of younger listeners who create events for like-minded fans of public radio. Gen Listen is currently looking for leadership team candidates on all islands. If you're interested in learning more about this volunteer position, send an email to hprgenlisten at gmail.com. Bookstores become such community hubs, it can be hard to imagine them disappearing, but they do. Kalele Bookstore and Divine Expressions in the heart of Kaunakakai closed last spring. I heard that owner Terry Waros had lost her housing just before closing the store and planned to pitch a tent in a friend's yard for a while. She originally went to Molokai as manager of Molokai Ranch Lodge 17 years ago. She worked there for three years. When I left the ranch, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to leave Molokai. Mm. And someone asked me one day, they said, well, just what do you want? I said, I just want a store. And I'm like, oh, that's it, that's it. Oh, what kind of store? A bookstore, because I've always loved books. And it it grew from that. What? Into a divine expression. (laughs) And, And the divine expressions was important to me. My friend laughed at me. She goes, you're so Portuguese. You know, I always talk too much. (laughs) It was important because it was more than just books. Um, We have wonderful talent on this island, and the art is remarkable. And that, to me, is an expression of the divine. And our aloha um, is an expression of the divine. And it was an important part of Kalele. Oh, how did you know which books to bring in? You know, I drove my contractor crazy. He was a former classmate. I want a bookshelf from one end to the other and a fireplace. A fireplace and kind of kakai. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah, because I wanted to feel like home. He made my dream come true. And then I had this huge bookshelf, and I was doing it all on my own. I didn't have any help banks wouldn't help they all laughed at me it was great resume great business plan but a bookstore on molokai it was amazing the prejudice <laughs> so anyways didn't have a lot of money and i spent like two thousand dollars on new books and two boxes came and i have this whole bookshelf to fill and i'm like oh oh and the people in the community said terry we like to recycle And so it was always a community-supported news books. Then what I spent money on was children's books. That was important to me. And Hawaiian books. I remember I bought my first bamboo toothbrush at your place. Oh, that's (laughs) right. Weren't those the best? Yes. Well recommended by Yes. Yes, Dr. Volk. Who was a great public radio supporter. So many people you got to know through your store oh yeah oh yeah well the other thing that was important to me was that it was a gathering place it ended up to be that very much so magic happened in that place and a lot of it was because of the people who gathered there you never know who's going to come in that day and they're looking for something and i don't know why but nine times out of ten the person they needed to talk to would be sitting in my store. It's just magic all the time. But that's Molokai. See, we're different than the other islands. I don't know if that would happen everywhere. How do you mean that? Well, it's because we're a small community and we only have one town. So everybody ends up there sooner or later. You know, you have to go grocery shopping or get gas for the car or something. So it's a small knit community. And um, there's, I'm serious, there's a, a very deep mana. And it goes back to ancient times to Molokai. 
I mean, one of our names is Molokai Pule O'o, the place of powerful prayer. I have my own experiences, and then I have those that others have shared with me. And that mana holds true to today. It's passed through the kupuna here, who've embraced me and taught me the real aloha, aloha ike kahi, ike kahi, to love one another. And when you live that way, all kinds of potential comes, in my experience. I think of you, I mean, your experience hanging on to the side of a cliff for eight <laughs> hours. You've yeah. had time to think about all this. When your your dog yeah. stumbled off a cliff there, Kalau Papa Lookout. Yeah. You were what, supported by one foot and one I in was your holding head. on to a root, yeah. I literally was <laughs> holding on for dear life. But do you know what the best part of the story? Well, the best part is that my friend came driving down and said, what the heck's Terry's car doing here at 1.30 in the afternoon when I walk your dogs at 6.30 in the morning, right? But the best part of the story was I literally was hanging on the side of the cliff and the firemen were like, okay, hold on, Auntie, hold on. And by this point, I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. We're coming, we're coming, they said. And the first responder who got to me was the young man who was raised in my neighborhood. And he's on a lifeline. He's bobbing in front of the horizon. And he goes, hi, Auntie Terry. And there's nothing but the wide open sky beyond him. Oh my God. Seriously, it was so surreal. And I'm like, Noah, I started to cry. And the other young man said, and my name's Trayvon. They were just so good. And that's what happens. When you left the job at the lodge, you didn't have mm-hmm. anything planned. You no. Left, you left the bookstore last March. Again. Didn't just... have anything planned, but I, but see, with Molokai again, and if I do it right, humbly, and ask for guidance, and trust, and believe. Kalele means to have faith. This is a, a community, a place of faith. You're testing it out. You're living it. All right. I am. And and I'm, I'm so full of gratitude in it. If I can bore you with a story, but when it came to closing the store, uh, the landlord wanted me out earlier than I had anticipated. And I was pretty wrecked um, after going through what I did with my house. And again, we're in the middle of COVID and I went next door to Our Lady of Seven Sorrows is one of the Catholic churches that Father Damien built. And buried behind the church is Auntie Kawila Reyes. She's a beautiful lady. And she passed away a year ago, November. I went to her grave and I told her in my mind my story. And I was so confused and I didn't know what to do. And I felt her finger. I saw her and I heard her voice. And she said, after living on this island for 17 years, you know how to do it with aloha and grace. And those two words held me just right above the level of water, right above the fray. They held me together on one piece. And that's the wisdom of the elders here. They share it generously to those who want it. Molokai provides. You know, it's so beautiful how it works here. Whatever you got, you give, you share. And it's like aloha. The best part about sharing aloha is the more you give, the more you have. And that's what works on Molokai. We started the hour thinking through the hate and fear that seems to be spreading across the country. And we're ending up on Molokai with Terry Waros, a former owner of Kalele Bookstore and Divine Expressions, Kaunakakai. It's a good place to be. We'll close with a son of Molokai, Kumuhula John Kainikawa. His album's titled, From Deep Within.
sun sinks low, hiding in the deep ocean blue, like a friend who leaves you, cause of misunderstandings, now skies are brown, rusty reds and faded Our emotions I feel trying hard to Big shout out to all the bookstores in Hawaii. Bookends and the shop here on Oahu, Barnes and Nobles as well. Maybe we'll tuck in with a book this weekend. <laughs> well, that's about it for this Aloha Friday. Thank you so much for being here. We would love to hear from you. Just give a call to our talkback line and leave those comments. The number, 808-792-8217. Email us any old time, talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org, or post your comments on any of those great, you know, those great social media places that we are. Visit the conversation page on the HPR website, too. This program is a caco thing, produced by Savannah Harriman Pote, Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Jason Ubai. The Backyard Quiz theme was written by John DeMilla. Hey, thanks, John. The theme music here, written courtesy of Gypsy 808. On Monday, Catherine Cruz is back. I'm Noe Tanigawa, so you join us Monday to pick up the conversation. Until then, let's take care of each other. Woo!